All right, open your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. I want you to recognize that these are the words of God. It's not just a story. It's something that happened, and these words were communicated to us for a reason. Go with me to John chapter 20, and let's start reading in verse 1. Now, we have been going through the gospel of John, and John chapter 19 was the crucifixion of Christ, the trial and crucifixion, and now in John chapter 20, we have the good news, the resurrection. Are you glad Jesus rose from the dead? That's why we're here this morning. Look at verse 1. Oh, and before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity to preach it and teach it. And Lord, we do approach it with humility, and we want to exalt You. Lord Jesus, You're so wonderful, and You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our focus this morning. You are worthy of our concentrating on Your Word. Lord, help us to learn some things that will help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, I want to notice, I want us to focus on the three people or groups of people that are identified in this text. There's Mary Magdalene, and there are the disciples, and then there's Thomas. And Thomas is normally known by what? Doubting Thomas. And we're going to look at some of that today. So John chapter 1, no, John chapter 20 and verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, and uh, Lockyer, Herbert Lockyer, he said, Mary was last at the cross and first at the tomb. That's what happens when Jesus heals you from seven demons. Amen. She loved him. She loved him. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone take the, taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the writer of this gospel, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. I got to say it. John wanted us to know he was faster than Peter. It's awesome. They're just dudes. Verse 5. And he, stooping down, that's John, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then comes Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher. Can't you just picture that? Here comes Peter just blustering in, just flying into the tomb. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. Now what did he believe? He believed that the tomb was empty. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away home or went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now check this out. This doesn't happen every day. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. I want you to picture the Ark of the Covenant. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Isn't that an odd question? Can you imagine what she thought? Why weepest thou? She saith unto them. 
because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have taken him or where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she now, now notice, she just thought the body was gone. Where'd they lay him? He's not here. She still thought he was dead. I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things unto her. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So let's look at, let's look at Mary Magdalene first. So it's early Sunday morning. Mary's come to the tomb. And just imagine what's going through her mind. You know that no one ever loved her the way that Jesus had. Can you imagine the way that she had been treated when she had seven devils? That's what the Bible said, Luke chapter 8. She had seven devils in her. And so she would have been treated with scorn. She would have been just out of her mind. She was possessed. And Jesus Christ loved her in a way that no one else ever had. She had followed Him. She had worshipped Him. She had watched Him die on the cross. She was the last person there to see Him. And now here she is at the tomb and she is just crushed because the meaning of her life is gone. Can you imagine losing one of your children? Some of you have. 
that feeling. This was something even greater than that. The person who had given her life, had given her meaning, she had followed him and worshipped him, and now that was gone. She thought, like the other disciples, that there was going to be a kingdom. And now that promise is gone. What are they going to work for? What are they going to live for? Mary was completely crushed. But she was faithful. And the Lord rewards her faithfulness, but not until later, not until verse 16. So she ran to Peter and John to report that his body had been taken. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is further evidence that the disciples did not know that Jesus Christ was going to rise from the dead. So when you hear a preacher preach from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they were preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's not in the Bible. They were offering the kingdom to the Jews. And that's what the Bible makes very clear. So here in our text, it's important to note that they didn't have any idea what was going on. They're hiding. And now here comes Mary at the tomb. And I want you to think about something. She's weeping. And just like her, we often mourn when God is about to do something great. We often mourn when God is about to do something great. Have you ever had a dream crushed? Have you ever had that happen? I think if you've lived at any length of time, and if you've ever had any dreams, those dreams have probably been crushed at one point or another. Isn't it wonderful when God does give you your dreams, when you are able to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? That is, that's a wonderful thing. But what about when that dream ends and only the hand of God can resurrect it? You ever been there? That's where Mary was. That's where Mary was. And like her and like the disciples, we often mourn when God is about to do something great. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Well, you know, in Revelation chapter 3, keep your place here in John. Go to Revelation chapter 3. This passage describes the church at Laodicea, and that means rights of the people, and it describes that particular church in history, but it also describes the period of history that we live in right now. So look at verse 14, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So let me ask you a question this morning. What does Jesus Christ think about your passion for Him? Listen, listen. What does Jesus Christ think about your passion for Him at this very moment? He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. Are you, are you passionate for His service? Or are you mourning? about a dream that's been lost. Do you know that it's possible to experience pain in your life and loss in your life? And I mean catastrophic pain and catastrophic loss. Do you think the loss of Jesus Christ was important to them? 
I'm not saying flippantly, like, you know, you lost your Xbox. That would be horrible. Jacob's up here, oh, no, he really was, I promise. It's a real thing. So here's the key. It is possible to be legitimately suffering and mourning in this world and yet passionate for the Lord and anticipating His return. And in many cases, it might be that way for years. How many of you believe that? Yeah, and it doesn't change. But look at what God says to this church at Laodicea. Back to Revelation chapter 3. And look at what it says. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So here's my question for you. Are you cold or hot this morning? Now, some of you are very cold because we, if you can't hang meat in the auditorium, then people go to sleep. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritually. Are you cold or are you hot this morning? And answer it to the Lord right now. Are you cold for the Lord? Are you, are, are, you, are you cold? Are you hot? Or are you just lukewarm? Do you know what Jesus is telling the church right here? Either get in or get out. Now, you can't lose your salvation. How many of you are thankful for that? But just hangers on. Just people, you know, the, I heard the old preacher say there's two kinds of people in the church. There's the pillars of the church that uphold the church and uphold the ministries and do the work. And then there's the caterpillars that crawl in and out every Sunday. That's kind of mean, isn't it? But that's what this is saying. Don't be that. Be cold or hot. Get in or get out. What does Jesus Christ think about your passion for Him right now? Can we vote? Let's vote. How many of you that's kind of a little convicting? Would you raise your hands? That's for me. It's because life gets busy. Life gets hard. And if it's not genuine sorrow and mourning and grief, it's just busyness. And we get so distracted by everything that's going on. And the Lord wants us to be focused on Him. So it's possible to be busy and passionate about the Lord. It's possible to be mourning and hot, boiling over with passion for the Lord's work. It's possible to do those things. But look at what it says in Revelation 3 again. Verse 16, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So we learn from from Jude that apostasy makes God angry. We learn from Revelation that apathy makes him sick. He can't stand it. Isn't it interesting that a lukewarm Christian is more disgusting to God than an apostate? How many of you think that's interesting to see? And i got to tell you, that's my biggest struggle. Lord willing, I'll never walk away from the Lord. I love the Lord. I love His doctrine. I don't see myself becoming an apostate. Amen? Is anybody with me on that? But I see myself getting cold. I see myself being distracted by the cares of this world. And isn't that what the Bible says? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And I find myself so tangled up. Remember we said last year we need to be engaged, not entangled. Right? So now look at what it says, verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched. The Bible says, if Christ... 
the, the Apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. Right? In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. We all know that, right? Praise God for the new man, the new nature. My new man does not sin. My new man is perfect and holy. Why? Because that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not the righteousness of Jim Alter. Right? And miserable. See that? Miserable. The Apostle Paul said, If Christ be not raised from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. Do you know what's wrong with the Laodicean church? And this is, this is why I went to that passage. The problem with the Laodicean church is we are trying to do the work of God in the power of our flesh, which is wretched, instead of the power of the resurrection. And what happens is ministry and the Christian life becomes miserable. Miserable. Because we get to the point where we say, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I'm trying and I'm trying and this comes up and then this comes up and just when I think I'm ready to take ahead in my, take, take another step in my Christian life, this comes up. I've got a habit or I've got a, a, a friend or I've got a relative or a job or Christians that do stuff they're not supposed to do. It seems like every time I try and take a step forward, something else comes into my life. Something came into Mary's life. It was the death of Jesus Christ. Is that significant? Yeah. Yeah. And she's weeping. And the disciples are hiding. Right as Jesus Christ is about to do something great. So here's the question. Are you living in the power of the resurrection? Are you living in your flesh? And I think the answer would be, for about 99% of us, we're living in our flesh. Now, now, how many of you would say, there are times when I really am living in the power of the resurrection? Would you raise your hand? There are times. How many of you would say, please vote. I want, I want people to know they're not alone. Who would say that most of the time I'm not? Would you raise your hands? That's where the disciples were. They had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. The Bible says in 1 John, we've touched, we've handled with our hands the word of life, Jesus Christ. And now, he's died. So think about Mary. The other thing that I want you to think about with Mary is, she was the first person to testify of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did God do? He rewarded her faithfulness. Look at verse 16. We're back in John chapter 20. Verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary... And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. She had seen the Lord. Now think about this. This is so cool. This is, this is wonderful. God in His wisdom and in His design for the church, says only men can be pastors. Amen? Is that what the Bible says? But He has a lady who had been possessed of seven devils to be the first one to testify of her resurrection. You see, God has a place for everyone 
in his ministry. Isn't that wonderful? Here is a lady that had been greatly healed and greatly forgiven and she worshipped mightily and she demonstrated faithfulness and God rewarded her faithfulness by allowing her to be the first person to testify of the resurrection. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. Some of you might be the first person in your family to graduate from high school. That's a cool thing, isn't it? That's a neat thing. But you know even better than that? You might be the first person to ever testify of the Lord Jesus Christ to your family, from your family. That's who Mary was. That's who Mary was. Boy, there's so much more about Mary that I'd like to talk about, but let's move on. Let's look at the disciples. The disciples. Verse 19, Then came, or then the same day at evening, when being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, what's he say? Peace be unto you. Do you think they needed some peace right about that moment? Because the Jews and the Roman Empire were stamping out Christianity. And listen, they needed something special. Look at what God ends up doing for them in verse... um, Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. They're hiding in fear. And Jesus Christ knew that they needed the power of the Holy Spirit of God to make it through the next 40 days. To make it through the next 50 days. Because remember, the next thing that happens is the feast at Pentecost. And you know what happened at Pentecost? Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer. That's what happened at Pentecost. The most signif- After the resurrection, it's the most significant event in the history of Christianity. was the indwelling Holy Spirit. So what Jesus did was He gave them the Holy Spirit in the same way that He had given them the Holy Spirit before. The Bible says in John chapter 14 that the the Comforter, which I will send in my name, all right? He's going to send Him. And He says, He is with you and shall be in you. So He gave them the power of the Holy Spirit to be with them, to make it through that time until the Holy Spirit came to dwell in them at Pentecost. Now, let me ask you a question. And and go ahead and answer it out loud. Everybody, there won't be a wrong answer. Just everybody out loud. Why were they hiding? For fear. They were afraid. What changed? The next thing that we hear is that they're turning the world upside down for Jesus. What changed? Two things. The resurrection from the dead and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, they had seen resurrection already. Is that right? Had Jesus raised people from the dead? Go to Matthew chapter 10. Not only had they seen Jesus raise people from the dead. We looked at this in Sunday school hour. And if any of you are here and you don't come to the Sunday School Hour, you are really missing out. We had an amazing discussion today about how to minister to people and how to answer questions 
about your faith to people who have a different faith. And this is one of the texts we looked at. So Jesus is sending the 12 out in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, drop down into verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. What are those next three words? So the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was an important component of the change from fear to fearless. How many of you believe the resurrection was an important part of that? But they had seen people raised from the dead. What was the vital component? The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God. Is there anyone here and you're saved today? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You know what that means? That means that you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. This is really important. You have something in you right now that as the disciples cowered in the upper room, they did not have. That's wild, isn't it? That's wild. What an amazing gift He gave us. The gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. So now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How come we're not turning the world upside down for Jesus? Because we're walking in the flesh. We're not walking in the Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God came to dwell in these disciples. Um, Oh, I want you to see something from Mary. Let me show you one more thing from Mary. Look at verse 2. I want you to see the progression of salvation. Now, I'm not saying that Mary was saved here, but I want you to see the process of belief that goes on. Verse, verse 2, so we're in Revelation, Revelation. We're in John chapter 20. Is it impossible to take notes from me? John chapter 20, and look at verse 2. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away, look, the Lord. Do you see that? Out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they have laid him. Look at what happens next. Verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord. At some some place. You know, there are lots of people in Shelby County who believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But He's not their Lord. You might believe Jesus Christ is the Lord, but is He your Lord? She said, They've taken away my Lord. Then look at verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary... She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. He needs to go from the Lord to my Lord to you're my Master. And I am willing to obey any commandment you give me. And Jesus Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my words. That's what Jesus Christ said right there in the text with Mary. Um, There's something else that I want you to see, and we're dealing with this. We'll be dealing with this on Wednesday night here in a couple of weeks. But look at what it says in verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto but you go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father. Why did he need to do this? Because he needed to enter into that temple not made with hands, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, and offer his blood on the altar. He needed to do that. You can't don't touch me. Don't touch me yet. 
But look at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, what happens? Jesus is standing before him and he says, touch me. So somehow, between verses 17 and verse 19, Jesus Christ left this world and went and offered his blood. That's awesome, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? That gives you a little bit of an idea of who our Savior is, who Jesus Christ is. Um, let's look at Thomas. Oh, l- let me say this. Back in verse 23, something else we can learn from the disciples. Whosoever sins ye remit, they're remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, there is a false teaching that comes that you have to go to a priest to get your sins forgiven from this verse. That doesn't have anything to do with that. Here, Luke, come up here with me. Here's what it means. Here's what it means. So, I'm going to... Let's say that I have just led. I've given the gospel to Luke, and he receives the gospel. Here's what I can tell him. Luke, if you died today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Yes, sir. Why? Amen. You, you accepted Him as your Lord and your Savior, and now you know for sure that you're going to heaven, right? Do you know what I can promise you based on the Word of God? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. We can do it just like they did. That's what the passage is teaching. But now I give Him the gospel and He refuses the gospel. So will you, will you be saved? Will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then you are still in your sins and you are going to go to hell. Do you see? That's exactly what's being said. Thanks. Look at Luke chapter 24, and this will explain it. Keep your place in John, please. But Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 45. Then opened he their understandings. Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written... And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So what are they preaching? Repentance. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. And remission of sins. Listen, they preach the death, burial, and resurrection. If you repent and you believe in Jesus Christ... Your sins are remitted. We can do that exact same thing. You know what? You, know, you, you have to be a priest to remit sins. But then the Bible says that we are priests and kings. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, the Bible says. Why? So that we can bring forth glory, show forth His glory in the world. We are priests and kings. Why? Because we have a high priest. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And what do we do? I can take Luke and I can, I can connect him with Jesus Christ through the Word of God. That's what a priest does. That's what a priest does. And now, he doesn't confess his sin to me. He confesses his sin to that great high priest. And then so we can function together, one with another, we confess our faults. We confess our faults. I just told some folks this morning, look, 
when I'm preaching, right before I preach, right after I preach, I can't remember people's names at all. I can look out there and it's um, Curlis, Kayla. That's a fault of mine. I can remember what happened in 1382, but I can't remember your name. It's crazy. We confess our faults. Why? Because I want you to know that just because I can't remember your name, it doesn't mean you're not important to me. I know that sounds absurd. That's a fault. That's a fault. But I don't. He doesn't confess his sin to me. He confesses his son sin to the great high priest. And when he does that, you know what I can tell him? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. That's what we learn from the disciples. Then, back to John chapter 20. Let's just take a minute and let's look at Thomas. Let's look at Thomas. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And people have really been pretty mean to Thomas throughout the centuries for that. Would you all agree with that? Did you know that he was obeying Jesus right there? Keep your place here. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Sorry, it's Matthew 24. There go those notes again. Look at verse 23. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, what are those next words? He was obeying Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 26. Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. Do you know what Thomas's problem was? He hadn't learned to rightly divide the word of truth yet. This is very important. Peter made the same mistake. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he thinks, Jesus had just said, some of this generation will not die until they see the King coming, the the Son of Man coming in His glory. Next thing you know, they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And He was transfigured before them. Right? And there's Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking. And Peter says, let's build three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And God the Father says... This is my son. Hear him. Be quiet, Peter. Why was Peter going to do that? Because he knew that the Feast of Tabernacles was fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes and tabernacles with his people for a thousand years. What did Peter do? He mistook the very spoken words of Jesus. He mistook the audible voice of God. And then he said in the book of 1 Peter, we have then a more sure word of prophecy. He said that the word of God that you hold in your hands is more authoritative and more helpful than the audible voice of God. Thomas had heard the words of Jesus and he was doing his best to obey them, but he was wrong. 
Listen, if Jesus said one sentence to you, you may or may not be able to obey it properly. You would have to put that sentence in the context of the entire Word of God. We have something the disciples did not have at that point. We have the written Word of God that we can hold in our hands. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Amen? Now, Jesus still gently rebukes Thomas. Look at what he says. Verse 26, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now what I love is the doors are shut and Jesus just appears there. Would that freak you out? Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. You need to understand something. It's not healed. It's not healed. Revelation chapter 5, when John sees Jesus Christ, the Lamb, he sees Him as a Lamb having been slain. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus Christ wasn't even recognizable as a man. He was marred above any man, the Bible says. That's why Mary didn't recognize Him. That's why the disciples didn't recognize Him. His, his face was gone. It says, I've given my cheeks to the smiters. They took, they pulled, you know, the, you know the, a Jewish beard starts here. Right? Goes all the way down. That was gone. Listen, listen. His face was gone. His face was gone. They didn't recognize him. He had to speak to them so they knew who he was. All the spiritualizing of the text is just not true. Well, he was spiritually hiding himself. No, 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 no. He spoke. When he spoke to them, they knew who he was. When he said Mary, nobody could say Mary like Jesus did. And she said, Master. And so now, Thomas, he says, Put your finger in my hands. Take thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Then look at what Thomas says. Thomas goes from being doubting Thomas, listen, to making the clearest statement of the deity of Christ that any man makes in the Bible. Look at what he says. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and, what does it say? My God. Jesus saith, saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me and thou hast believed, or Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, Thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? That's you and me. Is that awesome? That's us. Now, let's finish up with these last two verses. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. Man, Jesus did so much that we don't even know about. But He wrote them. The things that He recorded in the Bible are vital for us to understand. They're vital for us to understand. Then in verse 31, But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Have you believed? Is Jesus your Christ? Is He your Savior? Listen, at some place He has to go away from the Lord, and He has to be my Lord, and then He has to be my Master. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen.
What is that? That's your master. That's your king. That's your savior. It's not your buddy. It's not somebody that just want to have come over. It's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. Mary, the disciples, and Thomas. Three different perspectives on the resurrection. Three different aspects of the resurrection. And I think all of us are found somewhere in there. Who are you? Last thing I want to say about Thomas. I'm probably a Thomas. Prove it. I want to know. But you don't have to explain that to me. You know, just, and so maybe that's why I've got a little bit of an affinity for Thomas. Of course, Thomas became a great evangelist. You know, we have a missionary, Sam Thomas, Paul Thomas. You know why they're called Thomas? Because people in India, they believe that Thomas is the one that came and preached the gospel in India. That name is respected there. Isn't that awesome? And we believe that. Those disciples, those apostles, everything changed when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in them. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Let's turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Let's live passionate. Let's not be lukewarm. Get in or get out. Let's be hot for the Lord. Amen? Let's just be passionate for Him and let's do something amazing for God. But if you're not saved today, you're under the condemnation of God. You're not under the blood of Jesus. His blood has not washed away your sins. You have to receive Him as a gift. You have to receive that eternal life as a gift. Then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Then your life can be new. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for rising from the dead.